So I'm going to lead us in our church prayer in just a moment. And I was given this card, and um, I've carried it with me kind of where I've gone, and it has that prayer that our church leaders kind of put together to pray regularly. And it talks about that we want spiritual breakthrough in my life and our church family in our community. And one of the spiritual breakthroughs that we've seen behind the scenes is a, a staff working together to bless other people and Alyssa is our newest staff member, and she has been an absolute blessing to us. She's in partnership with Lisa Hughes, our children's director, and with Mark Confer, our youth pastor, and has just kind of helped us in both of those areas to lift that lid of, of ability and just absolute blessing. So kids especially, after we pray this prayer, kids, can you help us, but then all of us as well, can you help us to cheer for Alyssa? This is the first time she will have preached in this service. Uh, that'd be a kind of a cool way. Um, I don't know how you want to do that, but kids especially. Um, kids and Chase, all right? So basically all of us, because, you know, you, you're the most positive person, man. I love it. I love it. And uh, so, all right, so I'm going to pray. And we're going to celebrate the spiritual breakthrough that God has been bringing here as we cheer on Alyssa to come and bring the message. All right, so let's pray together. Father, unleash the power of the Holy Spirit to bring spiritual breakthrough in my life, in our church family, and in our community. Fill us with humility, unity, and passion. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. May the name of Jesus be held in high honor in all that we say and do. Amen. Welcome, Melissa. <laughs> Well, good morning, everybody. Hello. Um, that was unexpected. So as Nathan said, my name is Alyssa Heveron. I'm the youth coordinator here on staff. Um, I've been here for about six months, and if I'm being completely honest with myself, it simultaneously feels like a whirlwind and like an eternity. Um, like he said, I partner with Mark and Lisa during the week to dream about um, the future of our church and the future of our children's and youth ministries. And then on Sundays and Wednesdays, I get the joy of hanging out with most of these kids over here. Um, and they teach me a lot more than I teach them, I swear. Um, they're amazing kids, and it is an absolute joy to be with them. Um, mind, I... Ooh, I got lost a little bit. Sorry about that. Um, so... I'm just going to take a deep breath because it's been a morning already, so I feel like everybody seems like, Ugh. okay. So, my entire life has been a testament to God's faithfulness, and I know that people say that all the time in churches especially, um, but the more I think about it and the more I reflect back on it, the truer that statement becomes. And in order for this to actually sync with you and for you to get to know me a little bit more, because if you're anything like me, you want to know at least a little bit about the person talking to you on a Sunday morning, um, I figured it would be important for you to know a little bit of my heart and my passions, and that means giving you a little bit of backstory and how I got here. So in order to really like hammer home this analogy, I need you guys to mentally travel with me to a time in your life that I'm pretty sure at least 95% of you have experienced. So... Picture this, you're driving and you're using some form of electronic navigation system, whether that be Google Maps or Waze or GPS or back in the days of Garmin and MapQuest, some form of something that is electronically directing your path. And you are 100% confident of everything you're doing and you're like, yeah, I'm doing great. And it tells you to turn right and you turn right and then all of a sudden you get that terrible, miserable, mocking, condescending, real calculating. And you're like, what? 
hold on, what, how? And then instantly all of your confidence is completely shattered and you question everything and you wonder how you even got here in the first place and it tells you to make a U-turn but you're on a one-way street and all of a sudden all of that confidence you had is just immediate panic. You've been there, right? We've all experienced this. This pattern has an unfortunate way of repeating itself in my life. And um, so for example, I went to school in a school called California, or a school called Azusa Pacific in California. And I majored in youth ministry and I absolutely loved it. It was amazing, I loved my professors, my friends, my classes, my department, everything about it was the best. I could not wait to graduate from APU. Oh, it's still going, is that me? That's my bed. Maybe it's not my bed, okay. Um, anyway. I could not wait to graduate from there, but I get a call right before I started senior year from my academic advisor, and she's like, hey, bad news. We uh, double booked your internship, and so we don't have a spot for you anymore, but since an internship is required for your degree, you've got two options. You can either repeat senior year next year, or you can change your major and graduate on time. And I don't know if you've been to a private school in California, but an extra year of like $45,000 tuition for an internship is like the worst trade-off ever. So I decided to change my major with very much resentment and very much angst and very much grudge towards my school. And I was like, God, this is so dumb. Why? I'm just trying to serve you. I'm just trying to do ministry, whatever. And then two months later, after my resentment kind of faded away, I realized psychology is actually going to be pretty helpful for me because not only does it give me an understanding of um, traumatic events and things like that, but it helps me understand what my students are going through and how they're experiencing it in a way that I wouldn't have been able to understand in the first place. Fast forward a couple years after graduation, and a job opens up at the church that I grew up in, in a youth department. And I'm like, yes, this is it. This is my move. God put me here. This is my job. I'm so excited. Like, I know a lot of people struggle after graduation to find a job, but not me. And this is what my office is going to look like. And I'm so excited for this, 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 all that. So I interviewed and I applied and everything was great. And they called me and they're like, hey, we like you, but um, you don't actually have a degree in youth ministry, so we can't hire you. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Recalculating moment number two. I forgot that earlier. It was a recalculating moment. But, so, after that, I was like, well, that's probably something that I'm going to encounter for a lot of my life. I'm probably going to face that whenever I apply to churches, and I'm probably going to get that whole, oh, you don't actually have a degree. So I considered getting, going to seminary, getting my master's, and I found this amazing program at Mount Vernon Nazarene that was 100% online, and... I told my boss about it. I walked in and I was like, I was working in a really small insurance company at the time. And I walked in and she was more of a role model and a friend to me. So I was expecting enthusiasm and excitement. And all of a sudden she just goes, um, you're fired because that shows that you're not committed to the company. And I was like, recalculating. Like I just froze and was panicked. I was like, okay, so I don't have this. I don't have a job. I don't have a future in ministry, what do I do to fix that? So I ended up pursuing this, deg this master's degree because I figured there were no other options in front of me. I all of my choices had been eliminated. And it ended up being 
One of the hardest things in my entire life. I worked four part-time jobs all simultaneously to, to make ends meet, and it took two years to complete, but I can honestly say that by the time I received that hood and that degree, it was one of the proudest moments of my entire life because I knew the valley that I had been dragged through the mud to get through to get there, and I could look back and so clearly see that God's hand had been holding me the entire time. A couple months after I finished my master's degree, Another job, again, opened up at my childhood church that I grew up in. And this time I was like, yeah, awesome. I've got a degree in ministry. I've got experience. I'm super great. Everything is awesome. They already told me they love me. I'm going to have this job, and this is what my office is going to look like. And you kind of see where this is going, right? So I applied again, and I interviewed again, and I got rejected again, all for the sake of well, we just wish that you had more experience. And this time, instead of confusion, it was more frustration. A little bit of rage, if we're being honest about it. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? Like, I don't understand. So I decided, well, clearly I have to apply to jobs. I have to find what church home I'm supposed to be at because I am confident that I'm supposed to be doing ministry. I am confident that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I will find my church home. So I applied to countless churches, didn't hear back from about 50% of them. Of the ones I did hear back from, though, I had really, really wonderful responses like, um, we don't actually support women in ministry, or the better one that I really loved, and I got multiple times was, um, sure, we would like you a lot better if you were married, because then you'd have a man at home keeping you under control. And I was like, okay, first of all, that's a whole conversation for another time. Second of all okay, that's not somewhere I want to work. So after facing door slam, door slam, door slam, redirection, 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 constant rejection, it was less of a frustration and it had grown into an identity crisis. I began to question who I was as a person. I began to question the call that God placed on my life. I began to question everything that I was so confident about for like 90% of my life, all because when somebody tells you no, 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 no for so long, what else are you left to do? I was like, God, what are you doing? I'm just trying to serve you here. What is the big deal? Could you back off for a second? And I was about 30 seconds away from giving up all and completely entirely, pretty convinced that I had just misheard God's call in my life and I was supposed to be reevaluating or something. When I get an email from this guy named Mark Comfer, like, I don't know if you know him or not, but he's like, I don't know. But he emailed me and he was just like, hey, we saw your application. We want to bring you in for an interview. And I was like, mm, okay, yeah, well, sure. Um, so I went and I met and we talked to him and everything. And a couple weeks later, in a whirlwind of events, I get this job offer. And if I'm being completely honest... I was terrified because all I had known up until then was recalculating, and I was so confident that this was just going to be another recalculating moment. Spoiler alert, it's not. I'm here. A month later, I started here, and I hit the ground running, and as I said earlier, I have been here for about six months, and it could not be a bigger blessing in my entire life. These kids over here are absolutely phenomenal and all over throughout the rest of the church. It has been a joy to get to know each and every one of you on a personal level. For those of you that I haven't had the chance to get to know yet, I'm really looking forward to the next however long that takes to actually get to know you on a personal level. But I talk about this journey 
Not because it's like, a, oh, look at how far I've come sort of thing. Because it's one of those things where if we don't take the time to look back on our redirections and our recalculating moments, we miss opportunities to see God at work in our lives. And we, get to, we miss the opportunity of seeing the pleasure of his hand in everything that we do. So as we come to a new year, we're stuck in that difference between simultaneously reminiscing about everything that's happened up until now and dreaming about the future. We're all so excited. Oh my gosh, I can't wait for 2020. I'm going to do this. We're all excited and we're talking dreams and we're talking big. We're talking big picture. And we're also like, oh my gosh, I missed 2019 already. And I was Christmas and it was just Thanksgiving. And we're stuck in this like tough tension. We're thinking about what we were doing a year ago. We're thinking about what we were doing 10 years ago. And for those of us that were alive, we're thinking about what happened 20 years ago when the millennium happened. And I'm sorry for those guys. You guys weren't here. It's fine. But um, for 10 years ago, I was graduating high school. And I know that like half of the people in this room, you're just like, wow, she's a baby. But for me, that's like a huge identity crisis. So like, let me feel old in this moment for a second. 20 years ago, while all of my friends were playing veterinarian and teacher and pretend, I was playing pretend pastor with my Michael W. Smith CD and my Point of Grace CD, and I was bringing the word of the Lord to my Beanie Babies, let me just tell you. So this is a dream that has been mine for years, as long as I can remember. But as you can see, it hasn't come without its fair share of struggles and challenges. And at times, it seemed seemingly impossible that this would ever happen. So when was the last time that you were told to wait for something? Was it a couple days ago? Lemmy's already got something. She's ready. Was it a couple of weeks ago? Was it a couple months ago? If you're being honest with yourself, have you been waiting your entire life for something that you're pretty confident is never going to happen? We suck at waiting, right? We're terrible at it. We hate being told no. We hate being told to be patient. We're terrible at it. And yet being alive now means being stuck in the middle of waiting for eternity and still finding a way to keep progress going here on earth. We just had Christmas and Advent, right? Uh, There was a manger in the other place, but that's not in here. Um, We just had Advent and Christmas, which is a season synonymous with anticipation and hope and excitement because for people then and what we know now, it was a time when prophecies were going to be fulfilled. Our Messiah was coming. God with us was happening. It was an exciting time. It was full of anticipation. We also live in a post-Easter life, and we know that that means that sin and death have been conquered forever. God is with us forever. We have access to eternity forever because that barrier has been shattered, and that in itself is synonymous with truth and life and victory. But how do we live in the tension between Easter and Christmas and still be in 2020 hoping, remembering one and hoping for the other? The apostles kind of struggled with this same tension. And this morning we're going to be focusing on Acts 1 primarily, which is the ascension of Christ after his resurrection. Which I know is going to be kind of a weird mental jar because he was just born like five days ago, but like try to keep up with me a little bit. But, so in Acts 1... We've got, we will we'll end up studying the ascension of Christ, but in order for it to like make sense and for us to get what's happening, we're going to need to rewind the story a little bit, get our context, set the scene. And this is actually pretty easy to do because Acts and Luke are written by the same person. 
So as Acts 1 picks up at the story of the apostles' life, if we want to rewind the story a little bit and see what happened, we're going to end up rewinding into Luke and see what's over there. So that's where we're going to start this morning. And to set the scene of what kind of just happened before we jump into our scripture, if you guys want to start like getting there, um, it's going to be on the screen, but if you're one of those like tangible, I need it in front of me people, we're going to be in Luke 24 for, first. And so Jesus had just died about 40 days prior to when this is taking place. He had died and resurrected, and he was using that 40-day period to not only prove to the apostles that they weren't crazy, that he actually did die and rise from the dead, and also simultaneously empower them to give them enough confidence and power, encouragement, to deliver the gospel of Christ, which is kind of a tall order in 40 days, but I feel like if anybody can do it, Jesus can, and that's okay. So we're going to jump in to Luke 24, and we're going to start with verse 44, which is right there. Okay. So we'll start. He said, then he said, when I was with you before, this is Jesus talking, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. All stuff that had just happened. He's kind of giving them a recap. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all of these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was, taken, and was taken up into heaven. So they worshipped him and then returned to Jerusalem, filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple, praising God. So, we see that the focus of the story is primarily on Jesus, right? Which makes sense. It's a gospel book. It should be centric around Jesus. It also makes sense that this is how the gospel of Luke ends. Jesus is no longer in the picture. That's where the story ends, right? Not so. We know more happens. But for this purpose, it's kind of like a to-be-continued episode of TV. So you see that Luke kind of fades out, and if you're watching it, you're like, this is when the black screen happens and to-be-continued flashes across the screen. And then we jump into Acts 1, and it like fades back in. And it's the exact, it picks up right where it left off, and it might even give you like a previously in the Bible sort of sentence thing. But we see that verse 45 right here, it says, He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And I feel like the apostles get a lot of flack for kind of just not getting the big picture. Like, we read the scriptures now and we're like, come on. He very clearly was talking about how he's going to die and raise from the dead. He literally told you it was going to happen. Why are you panicked? All this stuff. We give the apostles a hard time for not getting it, for it not clicking. But this speaks to that. It says, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. It's not that they didn't get it because they couldn't. It's they didn't get it because God had not empowered them and made them capable of understanding yet. But now he has. He even says, now your minds have been opened to scripture. Now they are equipped. Now they are empowered and ready to go deliver the gospel. And so, the way that Luke ends, Jesus takes them outside the city. He disappears. And the disciples seem pretty calm about it, right? Like, it just says that they continue praising, 
no big deal, kind of casual, which I feel like is kind of weird because this is going to be pretty much the exact same as if Pastor Nathan all of a sudden just vanishes during this sermon right now. He just gets lifted up in front of us and Eric comes up on stage and he's like, all right, we're going to sing another Christmas carol. And we're like carrying on like nothing happens. Like that would be weird. We would all be a little bit like, oh, should we be worried that like Nathan's not here anymore? Like that would be like a weird jarring sign. So Gospel of Luke leaves us feeling like the apostles are kind of calm. Let's jump forward into Acts 1 and see what happens after Jesus is no longer in the picture and what happens in the apostles' lives after, after the ascension. So we're going to start Acts 1, verse 1. It says, <clears throat> In my first book, I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. There's that, like, previously in Luke statement. Like, this is giving you the recap. This is showing you this is the same person. This is what happened. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. Again, if you're an apostle, you're probably like, am I just really, like, wigging out right now, or is this actually happening? And he's got 40 days to prove they are alive, this is real, this is happening. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel? Oh, I forgot to do that. Has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, Two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So right away we see similarities and connections, right? This is literally the exact same story with just a couple different details in each side. Our biggest similarities are that Jesus is taken up, he's ascended, the apostles kind of hang around afterwards. They don't immediately leave. And the command to go spread the gospel and be, our, be Christ's witness to the ends of earth is the exact same in both passages. And what we can take away from this is the fact that these points are equally as critical to the story of Christ as they are to the foundation of the mission of the gospel. There, you can't have one without the other. This is like a pivotal statement and moment in both histories. Now, we talk about how the book of Acts is just the book of Acts, right? But it's actually the short version. In many translations and in many Bibles, you'll see in the front, it's actually called the Acts of the Apostles, which I think is one of my favorite facts about the Bible because it shows we talk about the Bible being our guidebook for life, right? And we talk about how this is supposed to be our tool book and it has examples. This is literally an entire book full of examples of what 
people who followed Christ did and what their lives looked like. This is literally how a book full of examples of what we can expect when we travel through life with Christ. Now, as much as the gospel is centric around Jesus, this book is centric around all of the apostles and what they're doing with the mission that they've been given. And we see that after Jesus is out of the picture, they're not really calm, right? They're not just like, oh, okay, we're going to carry on with life. This is fine. Everything's fine. They're like kind of freaking out. They, we, we see that they're actually standing and staring into heaven. And this is one of those moments where you're probably like, whoa, cool. Oh, he's not coming back, is he? Like, it's just like one of those, like, if you're with Jesus, you kind of expect to see cool stuff happen. But this is one of those things where they're probably a little bit terrified. It might have started as wonder or worship or awe or amazement or any of those things. But it probably very quickly transformed into 40 days ago, we lost him. And we knew exactly what that feels like. Is he coming back? What's happening now? I'm trying to panic and remember everything that he just told us in the last 40 days so I can figure out what's going on. And they're just like paralyzed panic into this is weird. I don't know what's happening. Everything's going weird. And it's kind of like when you walk in on a toddler and they're doing something real weird and you don't know like if you should take a picture or like yell at them or something like that. And you're like, why are you shoving Play-Doh in the VCR? Like you don't know what's happening. This is the whole purpose of the angels in this passage. They're walking up and they see the apostles literally just like cricket, cricket, cricket. And they, instead of saying, don't be afraid, because they haven't even noticed the angels in the first place, so they're not, of course they're not afraid. Their first thing that they say to them is, why are you standing and staring into heaven? Like, why are you just staring at the sky? What's happening? You already have your mission. You already, Jesus already told you what to do before he left. Why are you just standing here? What are you waiting for? It gets weird, and the, apost- or the angels snap the apostles out of it. And I'm left wondering, What would the apostles done if the angels didn't snap them out of it? How would their mission have been hindered? Would our church even be here today? Would the apostles have just gotten so paralyzed and gotten so far in their heads that they just stopped and didn't do anything? Thankfully, we don't have to worry about that. But it's it's leaving me thinking about that. And I love this part because it shows the humanity of the apostles. It shows that this isn't a society issue. We're told all the time that we're impatient. We're a society of instant gratification. We want what we want. We want it now. And yeah, that's a problem, but it's weird. But it's also a humanity thing too. The apostles struggled with it just as much as we are too, which shows that all of humanity has a struggle with waiting and being patient and this tension of pursuing the future and also living in the not yet. So, When you're growing up and you're a kid, I'm talking to you guys now, when you're growing up and you're a kid, you want to just be an adult already, right? You want to stay out as late as you want, you want to go to college, you want to move out on your own, you want to get your own food when you want it and what you want, and also you want to enjoy childhood, right? You don't want responsibility, you don't want jobs, you don't want any of the bills that come with adulthood, trust me, if you you don't want them. When you have kids, You're struggling between that newborn stage of, oh my gosh, they're so small, and I just want to keep them small forever, and newborn smell is amazing. And then also that tension of, oh my gosh, I just wish that they were potty trained, and if I have to feed them one more time, I will just throw something, and oh my gosh, please just stop touching me for five seconds. It's that terrible tension. And then, when you get to the end of your life, 
you're in that kind of like waiting to die phase where you're, you know the end is coming and you're enjoying the days that you have left on earth, but you're also struggling with incredible loneliness and depression as family member after family member and friend after friend passes on before you and you just are left wondering, when is it going to be my time to get to heaven? We're terrible at waiting. We're awful at waiting and struggling with pursuing eternal life and pursuing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we just finished Advent, again, which is the season of anticipation. And it's easy to be excited for Advent, and it's easy to anticipate because we know what happened. We know what's coming. We can be excited about Jesus because we know exactly what that is. But if you think back to original Advent, original Christmas, they didn't really know what they were waiting for. They still had that anticipation and that hope. Our greatest joy comes from looking back on our life and reflecting on the ways that God has been present and active in the things that we do. And in that moment, it's not blatant at all. In times, it's very frustrating and challenging and desperate. And that's why we're blessed with the opportunity to reflect and look back. As we look back on this year, on the decade, on our life, we see time and time again how faithful God has been in our lives, right? We can probably, if I gave you enough time, every single person in this room could come up with at least one instance in their life when God was incredibly faithful. Probably more, but everybody could come up with at least one. And yet, if we're being completely brutally honest with ourselves, we're still trying to figure out if we believe God. We're still fearful. We're still unsure. We're still doubtful of God's faithfulness at all. We're still doubtful that anything good will happen. We're still afraid of what the next year, decade, rest of our life will look like. And all we have up till now are years leading up to it, proving God's faithfulness in our lives. And yet, we're still unsure that he's going to continue to do so. We can't stop ourselves from staring hopelessly into the sky. But our mission isn't to keep staring into the sky, waiting for God to move. He's already moved. Our mission is to go into the, into the world and spread the gospel. Our mission is to utilize the Holy Spirit power. Our mission is the exact same as it was for the apostles 2,000 years ago. We have the same goal. So if it was enough for them and it was enough to motivate, motivate them, then what are we waiting for? We cannot possibly be more equipped than we are right now. Now, in some passages, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit an advocate. Some translations, some different Bibles like that, which I love because if you think about it, an advocate is a support system, right? It comes alongside. It's somebody that can speak for you and encourage you when you can't really speak for yourself. In John 14, 26, it says, when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. We see in this verse that the entire purpose of the Holy Spirit is to be our reminder of everything that Jesus said and did when Jesus is no longer on earth with us. In John 16, 7, we see that Jesus says that, in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And we see that this is an incredibly critical moment because we aren't, there's no purpose for the Holy Spirit in our lives if we've got Jesus right next to us, right? The whole point of the Holy Spirit is to be God with us when God 
is in heaven. This is the whole point. So if Jesus doesn't leave, yes, he's coming back, but we have this Holy Spirit advocate in the meantime to help and remind us and empower us on what we're supposed to be doing. Now, the apostles were, were caught staring at the sky, waiting for this advocate, and they got snapped out of it by the angels. But we already have that gift. We've already received the Holy Spirit. We've already got our advocate. So what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? What sign do you need? Is this it? Is this your angel moment? Because if you're waiting for something to be snapped out of, I don't know how long you've been staring at the sky. If it's been a couple of weeks, a couple of years, a couple of decades, your entire life. But if you're waiting for a snap out of it moment and a get ready to go moment, this is it, friends. This is your moment. This is your angel moment. Why are you still staring at the sky? We have our advocate. We have the power of the Holy Spirit alive and active in us today. And the last time that the apostles had this power, they knew what was in front of them, right? They knew. I've seen the Holy Spirit in action. I know what this power is like. I'm ready to harness that and utilize that for myself. The rest of Acts and even the rest of the Bible is full of stories of how the apostles lived out their mission. But the road ahead of them was hard. Nobody made it out alive. There's debate on if people like ascended and stuff like that. But for the most part, we've got no 2,000-year-old disciples sitting in this audience, as far as I can tell. Maybe. No. But we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for them and the boldness with which they spread the gospel and the witness of Jesus Christ. We would not be here today. We're on the cusp of a new year and a new decade, and we're still afraid of God's faithfulness. We're curious about what we can do to guarantee an easy life, a safe life, a good life. And I'm just going to spoiler alert this for you right now. Nothing. There's nothing that you can do to guarantee yourself a good, an easy, a safe life. We were never promised good or easy or safe. We were promised in this world, you will have trouble. It, it's a statement. You will. But we were also promised that we will never have to face it alone. We will never be alone again. We will never have to overcome those trials on our own power ever again because we have God with us. I don't know what this angel, what's going to look like for you next. I don't know what the road ahead of you looks like. I would love to be able to sit here and say, okay, you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this. I would love to know what that looks like for me, even. But that's not faith, right? When I was younger, I had somebody explain to me once that faith is stepping onto the staircase without being actually able to see the top step. When we're pursuing something and we know what we're attempting, there's no faith in knowing what we're attempting. It's not faith. It's not a, an act of faith if we know what's lying right in front of us. If the apostles knew it was next for them, it's very, very likely that most of them probably would have been a little bit more hesitant to kind of go forward. Like a lot of them had really gnarly deaths and I just feel like some of them would have been like, I really don't want to be boiled. Like, I don't know. That's just me. I don't know. But they had been given the power of the Holy Spirit. They knew what they were capable of now that they had their advocate with them. So what's it going to take for you to gear up and get on that exact same path? As this new year starts, I encourage you to be bold. 
to pray bold prayers, to dream bold dreams, to pursue Christ more boldly than you have ever pursued him before in your entire life. This is an exciting time for our church. This is an exciting era. You can kind of feel it, right? Like, I've been told by a bunch of people who have been in this church for a while, they're like, I feel like it feels tingly. When we're in staff meetings, we kind of sit and we're like, this is exciting. I feel like this room is like alive and buzzing. That's not just like weird electricity. That's Holy Spirit happening, right? Like we're on the cusp of harnessing something incredible. And the last time that the apostles were in this position, they paved the way for what would become millions of churches and Christians worldwide. So what's it going to look like for us? What are we going to do with this power of the Holy Spirit? What are we going to do with this brand fresh new start? How are we going to make the name of Jesus known in Marysville? How are we going to make the name of Jesus known in Ohio, in a different country? I've got a fun, exciting fact for some of you. This time, like next year or 10 years from now, some of you aren't going to be in Marysville. Some of you aren't going to be in Ohio. Some of you are really not going to be in the country. And like when you get there, call me. But we're going on an adventure and we've got different paths in front of us. We've got a brand new fire. Let this be a brand new fire for Christ's kingdom too. So what I want you to do when you walked in, most of you probably got a little sticker, right? A little this big. And some of people made the joke, they were like, oh, what's written on it? And I joked that it was written in invisible ink. But really, it actually is because it's not actually invisible ink. I probably should tell you that. It's really not. It's an actual blank sticker. But if, what I want you to do is I want you to hold that sticker and I want you to boldly pray for God to radically move in your life. I want you to pray for what your direction will be for the year ahead of you. And that might take a couple minutes. It might take a couple days if you're being honest with yourself. But what I want you to do is I want you to try to narrow down what God's direction and God's vision for you is in 2020. And I want you to really try hard to narrow that down to one word. I'll let you hyphen if you want to make it two, but just know that that's kind of cheating. But one word that's going to be your reminder so that when you face those trials that are coming, friends, I'm sorry that they will come this year. But when you face those, I want this to be a reminder for you of what God has promised and what God, the direction that God has put you on. And I want you to put this somewhere that you're going to see it every day for the next year, whether that be on your mirror, on your desk, in your wallet, take a picture of it, put it in your phone background, something like that, somewhere where you're going to see it every single day for the next year. And I want you to wait and see how radically different your life is a year from now. And kids in the room, I know that you're kind of tuning out because you think this is like a mom and dad thing. No, this is for you too. This is as much for you as it is for everybody. This is for all of you kids too. You are never too young to discover God's plan in your life, ever. When I was, I joked around earlier about how I was a kid and I was joking around and playing pastor with my stuffed animals. I was 10 years old then. 20 years later, what am I doing now? Yeah, girl. But... You're not too young. No one's ever too young. Parents, utilize this moment. Talk to your kids about what the Holy Spirit is. Talk to your kids about God's plan for their life. Make this a family moment. Encourage them to be on God's path. Stand alongside them and walk as they pursue God in a bold way. Learn from them. The Bible calls us to be like children. Learn from the excitement and the reckless 
love that they will pursue Christ with because they will blow your minds if you let them. So we're going to continue with worship in just a little bit. And I want you to really, really, really take this seriously. Don't lose this brand new start. Don't let this fire just drop in front of you. Utilize this fire that you've been given. We as a church need to utilize the fire that we have been given. And I cannot wait to see what each and every single one of you do in the next year. I cannot wait to see how radically God moves in this church. And next year, this time, I cannot wait to look back and see all of the ways that God has been incredibly faithful in our lives and in the lives of this church. It's going to be such an exciting time, and I cannot wait for it. But in this moment, pray about what that looks like for you. So bring the band back up, and then we are going to pray. Personally, I was taking that really, really seriously. So I took the sticker and I wrote on it and I stuck it in my wallet. Here, I'll show you. I'm not showing you what it says, but there it is. And I thought, you know, every time that I see it, I want to live this out so that this time next year, I could tell Alyssa, look, your words on behalf of God didn't fall on deaf ears. Like we took this seriously and we lived it out. And uh, so I'm going to start praying. And we have prayer team partners that are going to be at the sides as well. And, um, and if you want to be prayed for, then throughout the rest of the service, you can be prayed for there. And then the band's going to lead us in some more singing. Let's pray. God, you have a particular purpose for each person that is here. And as they're trying to find it and as they're trying to live that out, we realize that sometimes our purpose is just what we're supposed to do in the next few minutes. And so in these next few minutes, Lord, what you are putting in our heart to do or to remember some action, whatever word it is to write that down, help us to be faithful in just these next few minutes. Maybe we're not sure about our overall purpose of all of our life, but we can do in the next few minutes what you want us to do. And so we listen and we respond. Thank you for what you're teaching us. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst. And as prayers are offered up individually and maybe together with our prayer partners, and then as we worship you in song. May you be glorified and just, we just love you and adore you and appreciate you and are thankful to you. And we, your people, will carry this word forward. In Jesus' name, amen.